0: Every now and then, don't you just wish we all weren't quite so boring? Um, Like that washed in the blood of the Lamb? I don't know. I felt like we should be dancing or singing in the round or something. Uh, But, you know, we all kind of get a little toe tap going, and that's about as far as we get. Uh, Anyway, it just felt to me like it needed a bit of celebration. Anyway, uh, look, welcome this morning. Now, it is Resurrection Sunday, uh, the day we remember that Christ rose from the dead. Now... Just to put it to you, we're not doing a specific Easter message. We are just continuing our journey through Peter. Uh, But, I mean, seriously, everything we read in the New Testament hinges on the fact that Christ rose again. Like, everything. So, it's all to do with the resurrection of Christ. If Christ is not risen, then our hope is in vain. Uh, And so, He did rise, and so we have life in Christ. So, that's what we're going to be doing this morning. We're going to be continuing in our next bit of Peter uh, as we journey through together. All right, it's fair to say that my brother and I are close. When I say close, he lives in Port Adelaide, we talk on the phone almost every single day. What I want to talk to you about is why we're close. We're only 18 months apart, which I think helps, there's a, a close family relationship, Then there are the typical boyhood bonds which help build that relationship, adventures, fights, general mischief mischief together. But when I was nine, my brother 10 or 11, my parents divorced and my mum left and it was me, my dad, and of course my brother. When I was about 11, my dad got cancer And we were handed off to abusive relatives. And me and my brother would survive by sneaking out at night and stealing food from people's vegetable gardens. Um, And it was me and my brother. When I was about 13, my brother, 14 or 15, my dad died. Brutal age to lose your father. And yet, of course, there was my brother. After I became a Christian, it was 12 years before my brother came to faith. He's now uh, in Port Adelaide. He's a pastor. And we are now brothers in the Lord. And we ring each other nearly every day. And we talk about our relationship with God, theology, and ministering to the church. So we are biological brothers, we are brothers in Christ And brothers who have bonds forged through trial, difficulty, good times, and laughter. Now, don't get me wrong, we do have disagreements, we do argue, but nothing ever damages the deep affection of brotherhood that we have. All right? I want you to think about that image as we move through. into today's passage. Peter has grounded us so far in the realities of our faith. He has grounded us in the certainty of our election, of our salvation through grace, our adoption into the family of God, and our eternal, undefiled home. He then, after grounding us in verses 1 to 12, shifted to talking about living holy lives because God himself is holy. That means we will live lives distinct from the world, that we will live as strangers in the world because we follow a different king. However, we would remain in the world to love and share the good news with people around us. He then reminded us that God will judge impartially and that we should live lives of reverent fear of deep respect knowing the value of our lives because we were not bought by gold or silver but by the infinitely valuable valuable blood of Christ right so this is the journey that peter has been weaving through us. He's grounded us in grace. He's talked about the kind of lives we should lead and he said, why? Because what is your worth? If you're a Christian here this morning, what is your worth? Your worth is this, that Christ, the Son of God, gave up his life to purchase you for the Father to purchase you, to adopt you into his family forevermore. Your life is of inherent value because the cost paid was none other than the blood of Jesus. And so now Peter is going to pivot again. He's about to to pivot into the working out of our faith, the practicalities of what it means to be born again, to be adopted into the family, and what's that another thing that's going to look like? So, if you have your Bibles, we're going to open up to 1 Peter 1, we're going to look at 22 through to 25, 1 Peter 1, 22 to 25. 25. Since you have purified yourselves by your obedience to the truth, so that, you show, so that you show sincere brotherly love for each other, from a pure heart, love one another constantly. Because you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all flesh is like grass, And it's all its glory like a flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this word is the gospel that was proclaimed to you. Amen. All right, verse 22, the first one we're going to look at. Since you have have purified yourselves by your obedience to the truth, so that you show sincere brotherly love for each other, From a pure heart, love one another constantly. All right, purified yourselves by your obedience to the truth. Anyone here feel 100% perfectly purified? No, didn't think so, me neither. Right, so what is he talking about, right? That you have purified yourselves by your obedience to the truth. Well, look, the truth in the scriptures is simply often another word used for the gospel. It's called the gospel of truth. In other words, the greatest fundamental truth that you can ever know is that Jesus Christ is the Son of God that he died on the cross to pay the penalty of your sin and having conquered sin and death, he rose on the third day showing that the curse of sin had been defeated. He rose to the right hand of the Father where he lives forevermore and he has chosen to adopt you into that family where you now begin to live for Christ and one day finally we'll see him face to face and in an instant be transformed into his likeness. That is truth. right? That is the truth of the gospel, the death and resurrection of Jesus. So you have purified yourself through your obedience to the truth. What does that mean? It means when you heard the good news of the death and resurrection of Jesus, you put your faith in that truth. And having put your faith in that truth, you have in fact been purified. We don't live out the full reality of that now, We still struggle with sin, we still make mistakes, but the reality is the price has been paid. The penalty has been met. And in the eyes of the Father, because you've been given the righteousness of the Son, you are, in fact, purified. Right now, if you put your faith in Jesus, you are already made right for our eternal undefiled home. Why will you belong in an undefiled place? Why won't you defile it? Because the price has been paid by Christ and his righteousness is yours and you are made right to fit in his eternal home. Right? This is the stunning truth of the gospel. So Peter takes that truth and now he pivots and says something that, frankly, can make us a little uncomfortable. He says, you've been purified by your obedience to the truth, to the gospel. And then he says, why? Why have you been purified? For what purpose? So, says Peter, so that you show sincere, brotherly love for each other. Now, this is Peter writing to the church. You've been purified so that you show sincere, brotherly love for each other. Now, the Bible gives us a few different things, reasons for our salvation, and all of them eventually come back to the same thing, the glory of Jesus. And this is ultimately what it all boils down to. For instance, the scripture also says we'll be known as his disciples by what? I love for one another, right? Because when we love one another with the kind of sacrificial love of Christ, it reveals the truth that we must be born again of Him, right? There's no other way that we can love except for in Christ. Again, in John, it says the way that we dwell in unity, the way that we love one another in the church will prove that Jesus came from the Father. Why? Why? Because people should experience a love in the church that is so otherworldly, which is so much more gracious, so much more forgiving, so much more caring than anything you can experience in the world, that they come into the church and they go, what is this love? It is other than anything I've ever experienced. And of course, what do we tell them? It's the love of Christ. And they realize that this love that they're experiencing can only be from heaven. And so the the fact that Christ came from the Father is proven by our love for one another. So you have been purified, set free from sin and death so that you can show sincere brotherly love. that's great isn't it sincere brotherly love not pretend not so that you can put on a show on a Sunday no so that you can show sincere true real brotherly love now church here's a reality We get on better with some people in the church than we do others, correct? We're not going to lie about that. Some of you find me difficult to get along with, and that is fair. It really is. Right? We, We struggle to get on with some people more than we do others, and that is okay. We even see that in the disciples. We see that there are different little relationships that happen. That's okay. But here's the critical question I have for you this morning. Can you sincerely pray a blessing on every brother and sister here. Can you honestly and sincerely say you want the best for them? Would you? Can you sincerely say that if a need arises for anyone that I can meet, I would happily do so? This is the test of genuine love. We know in families we fight But the reality of family is beyond our fight, we'll always do what we can to help. And that is the church. That is who we're meant to be. We are meant to love sincerely and deeply as his followers. Remember, Peter is writing to those whom he has labelled strangers, aliens in the world because of their allegiance to Jesus. They are facing persecution because of their belief. Now, no one ever talks about it, of course, but who are the most persecuted people on the planet? Christians. By a long margin. It's not any of these other groups that like to carry on a lot about it, but Christians are the most persecuted people on the planet. Over 200,000 Christians are put to death every year because of their faith. The most persecuted people on the planet are Christians. Why? Because it doesn't matter what government you're under, it doesn't matter what country you're in, we have a different king. We won't bow the knee all around the world. And so all around the world, Christians suffer because we have a different king. And Peter is writing to those exact people. And what is he writing to those people? He says, guess what? You are born again. You are all under the same king, and you are all suffering the same trial. So recognize that these are your brothers and sisters in the spirit. They are your brothers and sisters being forged through trial and difficulty, and you have been purified to love one another deeply and freely. This is who we are called to be as the church. We've been set free from always having to be right. We've been set free from unforgiveness. We've been set free from feeling superior because we are all sinners saved by grace so we can love freely. I've shared this quote from Spurgeon before, but I just love it so much because it's brilliant and it's true, and I think all of us need to, like, tattoo it inside your eyelids. If any man thinks ill of you, do not be angry with him, for you are worse than he thinks you to be. Right? Isn't that a cr- classic quote? If anyone thinks ill of you, don't get upset about it because you are actually much worse than they think you are. Right? That- Here's the truth though, church. You can't come to faith in Jesus any other way than believing that's true. That is the only way to come to faith because the scripture tells you that you are inherently sinful, you have rejected our heavenly and glorious God, everything you do is an affront to him, because you haven't lived it in faith and independence upon him, and the only way to come to faith is a recognition that I am a sinner, and I cannot save myself, and my only hope is Jesus. That's the gospel. So you can't come to faith in any other way than recognizing, you know what, you think I'm bad, you've never seen my thought life. right? You think I'm bad, but if you knew what was going on in here, oh my goodness, it's much worse. But I'm saved by grace. This is what it means to be a Christian. Our thoughts our intentions, our selfishness are all revealed to us at the moment we repent and fall on our knees and trust Jesus. If that's our journey, if that's the process we have to go through, how can we then consider ourselves better than anyone else? How can we then withhold love from your brothers and sisters in this room. When you've had to come face to face with who you really are when you came to Jesus. So at the end of this verse, Peter says, so love one another constantly. Love one another constantly. Why? Because everyone in the church is is so deserving of that love. No, they're not. But as I said, the truth we learned in coming to Christ is neither are you, right? None of us are deserving of that love, but we received it in Christ, and so we can love. The truth is it's not so much the persecuted church that struggles to love. It's not the church who is on mission to reach the lost that struggles to love. It's the church that sits around navel-gazing that struggles to love. Are there faults in this church? Come on. I don't know how everyone wasn't just like, yes. Right. Yes, of course there are faults in this church. There is not a perfect person in this church. There's not a perfect system in this church. Right? There are faults in this church, but I can tell you right here and now, they are minor compared to the mission of the gospel and the glory of Christ that we're on as a church. If we focus on the mission of the upward call of Christ and proclaiming the good news, you know what? We deal with the little issues that come up. We can, we can push them aside. But if you stop the mission and instead you start to say, where are the problems? Oh, you'll find them. You'll find them. You're part of them. So am I. But no, we focus on the gospel, on the mission, and that enables us to love. Verse 23, because you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. Because you've been born again. Now, Peter deepens the thought here, and he gives us that linking word, because, another reason we love like this, because we have been born again of the Father. Now, he wants to make a strong point, not with imperishable seed. Now, Sunday school's not happening at the moment, so we're just not going to go into too much detail here. Uh, But let's just say this, every father has perishable seed, and every life that they produce will die. True? Every life that they produce will die. And what Peter is saying is, as opposed to the life that parents create, which is still under the curse of death, ultimately all life comes to an end. He's saying, now you've been born of the imperishable seed, you've been born of the will of the Father, the living word of God. Again, the gospel of good news. Peter is saying that the Word of God creates eternal life. The Word of God creates life that is imperishable. The Word is the good news, the gospel. When we put our faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus, when we are born again, born again of the Word, when we are purified and made ready for eternity... You are no longer of perishable humanity, but now you are of eternal life. Peter is saying, so you shouldn't be the same. Why be caught up in the affairs of those who think this is all there is, when you know for a fact that this is only a brief moment in your long eternity of glorifying Christ? So why get caught up? In silly, petty affairs, why not love constantly, recognizing who you are when you've been born again to eternal life? Well, that's Peter's point. Right? You're not part of this perishing system, this perishing world. It's not you. No, 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 no. You've been born of the imperishable. You have an eternal home waiting for you. So, so stop stressing about these minor things and live in constant love, knowing that you are going to that eternal, undefiled home. Church, why do you come here on a Sunday morning? You know, the Scripture tells us we should come to offer God corporate worship, to sing His praises. We should come to pray and study His Word and we should come to offer the gifts that you've been given for the benefit of the body. Right? We come to praise and worship, we come to study and learn, and we come to offer ourselves to serve the body. Church, we should come to be challenged by the teaching of the Word. To spend time... Checking it against the Scriptures to see if it's true. In short, we come to worship and learn. If we're not doing that, then there's something broken. If we come here to critique, if we come here to be served, if we come here to see if the sermon measures up to my knowledge, right? we've we've come with a flawed reasoning. Now, I'm not saying you have to agree with everything I say. I alone am right. No, absolutely not. But do we come wanting to learn, to take what we hear to the Word, to prayer? In short, is our attitude one of humility and learning or pride and arrogance? Right? We, we come together to grow, and our growth in the Word, and our growth in serving, and our growth in, in praising God results in love of one another and constant worship and glory of Christ. We are to be marked by the constancy of love. It should be, if you're a Christian here this morning, your normal position. The constancy of love. How do I feel about my brothers and sisters? Your general and normal feelings should be love. Because we are born again and are being molded into the image of Christ through the power of his word. Right? The constancy of love. We are born again of the Father, purified by the gospel, being made into the image of Jesus, ready for our eternal home. Does our love for one another reflect that truth? That's the question this morning. Are the truths of the gospel, the realities that it brings, reflected in how you love? Verses 24 and 25, for all Flesh is like grass, and all its glory like a flower of the grass. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this word is the gospel that was proclaimed to you. So, with the word for, again, linking word for all flesh, Peter is quoting from Isaiah chapter 40, verses 6 to 8. Okay, I'll read it out to you, Isaiah 46 to 8. A voice was saying, cry out. Another said, why should I cry out? All humanity is grass, and all its goodness is like a flower of the field. The grass withers, the flowers fade when the breath of the Lord blows on them. Indeed, the people are grass, the grass withers, the flowers fade but the word of our God remains forever. All right, and that's what Peter's quoting, and it's just reinforcing the point he is making. The, the, uh, in context here from Isaiah, the, the context is they were hoping to be restored from exile in Babylon. But it seemed like an impossible task. They're exiles in Babylon, and they are enslaved to a massively powerful foreign nation. So what's Isaiah saying? He's saying this. Those nations are not imperishable. They rise and they fall. People are not imperishable. They rise and they fall. Don't lose hope, Israel, because God has promised that you will return from exile and his word is imperishable and endures forever. That's the point that's being made in Isaiah. Don't fear the nations. Don't fear their power because God has said and His Word is eternal. Right? Peter is highlighting here the same truths to this church that he's writing to who are currently facing persecution. Remember, that's our context. They're they're facing a struggle. And Peter is writing to that church and he's saying, listen, listen, It might seem difficult. People might seem against you. God's word is stronger and his promises are certain. They have been brought and paid for by the blood of Jesus. So you don't need to panic. You don't need to give in to fear. You don't need to stress about the world and what it's doing, but you can serve and love one another because God has promised you your eternal home right? The final line of chapter 1, and, and this word here is the gospel was proclaimed to you. That's what Peter says at the end of our passage. Remember, the gospel means good news. And Peter's use of the word, almost certainly in this case, comes from the same passage of Isaiah 40 we just looked at, the next verse. Isaiah 49 says this, Zion, herald of good news, go up on a high mountain, Jerusalem, herald of good news, raise your voice loudly. Raise it. Do not be afraid. Say to the cities of Judah, here is your God. Right? The good news, proclaim it. Don't be afraid because God is here. Again, the context is that God will fulfill his promises to Israel. And here's what's amazing. If you've been with us on this journey through Peter so far, as previously observed, Peter has argued that all of the Old Testament prophets and the the things that they prophesied were intended for Christians. Peter's actually told us that all of the things they said have found their fulfillment in the coming of Christ. And here, similarly, Peter is saying that when they proclaimed good news and they said, God is here, there's no need to be afraid, what they really meant was, what they were looking forward to was the fact that you right now have Christ. God is here is what Peter is saying. So don't fear. Don't fear the nations. Don't fear anything. but rest in the good news. And that rest should enable you to love. In closing, just pause for a moment. Just in a moment, reflect on everything you have in Christ. Seriously, just think for a moment promise of the good news, we are saved by grace. Jesus paid the penalty of our sin. We are being made like him through the power of the Spirit and obedience to his word. We have an eternal home that cannot be taken from you no matter what happens to your home here. You have a father who has adopted you into his family, regardless of what anyone thinks about you here. We have a direction and purpose in this life to share the good news, regardless of the world's economic struggles and fear of losing jobs, right? We have promises which are unshakable by the events of this world. And what Peter is saying is that all of this should create an unshakable love for one another because there is nothing in this world that should be able to rattle the eternal love that we have. Like brothers who have journeyed together through the trials and joys of life, our relationships should be far stronger than our disagreements. And that will result in the glory of Christ when people experience that love in this church. That's our challenge this morning. The gospel should result in the constancy of our love for God and for one another. Church, if you're not feeling that, then I pray you deal with it. You repent where you need to repent. You speak to a brother or sister where you need to speak to a brother or sister. You deal with it so that we can be about the glory of Christ through our love for one another. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, when we truly fix our eyes on you, the author and perfecter of our faith, when we, we grasp the promises that we've seen in Peter, the truth of our adoption into your family, of of our eternal and undefiled home. Lord, we pray that as we fix our gaze on these things, we would not get caught up in the petty squabbles of the world. Lord, these things are not for us. We've been saved out of them. Lord, with our hope on Christ, our focus on the mission of sharing the good news, May we band together as brothers and sisters in constant love as we run the race to honour Christ. We pray this in your precious name. Amen.